0: Lately I've been thinking a lot about how every community creates a culture and every culture is like a current that is pulling you where it's going. Every community creates a culture and every culture is like a current that pulls you along. Which means that if you're a part of a community that's headed somewhere you want to go, then just being a part of that community makes you automatically drift in the direction you want to go. But being a part of a community that isn't going where you want to go makes you have to fight tooth and nail just to not drift in the wrong direction. The other day I had a bunch of interaction with a close friend of mine. One of the things she said was, You know, Tim, I used to think the passage that says confess your sins one to another that you may be healed was almost like a a legalistic verse saying you should do this, guys, if you, you know, God's not going to heal you if you don't confess your sins. And she's like, now I don't view it that way at all. Now I view it as this invitation, just a statement of fact. Hey, lay your burdens down let the other people who have jesus living in them extend god's grace to you and she was simply saying i have a i have a therapist but man i really miss the community of jesus and it's it's kind of irreplaceable and i crave it i was like good <laughs> good because i don't i don't want people to go oh i should go to church i want people to go i miss the meaningful relationships with my believing friends who share my deepest identity and deepest direction and deepest core values. A while back, Carrie sent me a TED Talk by this guy, Johan Hari, and it was about addiction. He was saying, you know, everything we think we knew about addiction is wrong. And we've been thinking it's purely biological and that there are genetic markers for it. And it's about brain chemistry. But what I'm finding is it's more than that. It's not just the individual's biology driving it. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm interested. Anytime we're talking about addiction, I'm interested because I'm a pastor and I've seen that all sin is addictive and deceptive. So, if you understand the nature of a drug addiction, you basically understand the nature of all sin because it really works the same. In his talk, he was saying the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, but connection. And that the best environment to produce sobriety is a loving, connected, social situation. And I'm like, man, that, that, that checks out. He, he said what we need is a sense of identity and purpose and belonging and relationships that are so meaningful and important to us that we have the right resources and incentives to do something meaningful and he cited some studies about rats this rat park study done in the 70s that essentially gave rats a heroin the option to drink a heroin laced i'm sorry morphine laced water or regular water. And what he found was rats in solitude who were bored and had no connections or anything to do, out of boredom, became massively addicted. But rats that were in a rat park with opportunities for play and work and sexual relationships had a significantly reduced rate of drinking the morphine water. In fact, they actively avoided the morphine water, even though it was sweet. They preferred the sweet water to the regular water, but they avoided the sweet water when they knew it had morphine in it, because it impaired their capacity to engage in the tasks and activities they wanted to engage in most. Rats in isolation have a much higher disposition toward addiction than rats with meaningful connections. (laughs) And I'm like, well, I'm not a rat, but that checks out, and his exhortation to us was not not to judge, isolate, and punish someone for their addictions, but to sit with them compassionately and seek connection with them. To be, that, that's how you want to, be. if you want to be helpful, he said, this is how you're helpful. Don't punish and reject and isolate an, an addict, but mercifully connect with them And help meet their needs for love, identity, belonging, and purpose. That can help orient them with incentives and resources. That all sounds like the church, man, to me. That sounds like the gospel, and that sounds like the church. He says, you know, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, but connection. And I would say, well, I can think of a few scriptures where God says, yeah, connections are powerful, but we really need to be careful to get the right connections. And, and you'd say, well, the best connections, nah, I don't know about best, but I know about better and worse. You know what I mean? Nobody in our community is perfect. Nobody around you is perfect. So I don't know about best. How would you even get that? But you, you know from experience, some connections are healthier for you. Proverbs 13, 20, walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. I worked with a guy for a summer and learned his anger, and I wish I had not learned his anger, and I think the right way for me not to do that would honestly be, have been to not work for him. I worked with my father-in-law and saw his contentment and his pace, and I'm not saying I learned it, but I definitely was impacted by it positively in a way that still sticks with me. 2 Timothy 2.22, Paul exhorts his protege to flee the evil desires of youth and to pursue all these godly virtues along with some folk who are in love with Jesus. So he doesn't just say, stop it, quit it, don't do that. He says, you're going to need a community. If you want to flee the evil desires of youth, you're going to need a community who is going after what you're going after. This is what makes the impossible Actually, doable, the right community. Because community creates a culture, and culture creates a current. And when you're in the right current, you can drift in the right direction. And if you swim, you'll be moving in the right direction. But if you're in the wrong community, it's the wrong culture, it creates the wrong current, and you'll have to fight to stand still, and probably you'll be going backwards soon as you relax. But I love that he says, not just to run away from, flee. Flee. That's strong language. I like that. Don't sit there in the middle of it. Run. But just as importantly as what not to do, he gives you the right pursuit. Go after Jesus. Seek God. Discover his will And then be willing to pay any price, no matter how inconvenient, embarrassing, or impractical it might seem, to rearrange your life around doing that will you then discover after you've sought Him. And do it together. I like that. That it's not just about what we don't do. But wait a minute, why did those things appeal to us? Because we have underlying desires and needs and drives. And you can't just not fulfill them with the wrong things and leave them empty and then just stay there, dissatisfied and insatiable, miserable, unfulfilled. Paul says, no, no, no. Actively pursue the thing you were made for, the thing you were designed for. Actively pursue the deeper, better, right fulfillment of your drive's needs. If it's a core fear that's making you crazy, feed it with the truth. If it's a core wound that you're still living with, let the Lord mess with it. Touch it. Speak into it. Don't just not do the wrong thing and then go unfulfilled, unmet, empty. Thomas Chalmers had a message that I've loved ever since I discovered it. And he talked, well, his sermon was called the expulsive power of a greater affection or something like that. The expulsive power. What he means is a greater love will always push out lesser loves. Whatever He's basing this on Jesus saying, You'll, you can't serve two masters. The greater love will always cause you to press out and opt against the lesser love. So the greater love will push out the lesser love. So his thing is, you want to fall out of love with sin? Don't just fight sin. Seek Jesus, fall in love with Jesus, and you'll find, not through a direct action of your will saying, I'm not going to do that bad thing, but through the indirect reality of something powerful growing inside of you, that that will push out those things in you. You don't want to be there. And of course, that's a sub sermon or a whole separate theme of grace, not law, and God's love and identity and getting in the spirit and gazing into the face of Jesus and pursuing relationship and being transformed from the inside out instead of by God, instead of the outside in by religion. If I say, please lead lead a meaningful life, that's pretty strong. But we could even make it weaker and say, well, at least, even if you're not going to lead a meaningful life, a loving life, a a heroic life, a good life, even if that all sounds eh, surely you at least want to lead an interesting life. (laughs) Can you imagine getting to the end? Oh, what did I do with my one life? I watched a lot of videos of other people who were doing things, making things, learning things going places, meeting people, exploring, who were curious and were exploring that curiosity. But I was only curious enough to just see what they did. I once worked at a factory in Middlebury, Indiana, called Syndicate Systems, and we made the shelves that are in Walmart and major box stores. I remember the tall shelves that are in the Old Navy stores. There was parts of that job that I enjoyed, I did not like the dehumanizing pull a lever, pull a lever, pull a lever, pull a lever, push a button, push a button, pull, push a button. That part of it, Ooh. Well, one day I'm working next to a lady and I'm trying to get to know her just in common human courtesy. I say, hey, what kind of music do you like? And with these sort of bland, tired eyes and no, no enthusiasm in her voice or face, she says, I don't know. I'm like, what do you mean? You don't know what kind of music you like? What do you listen to? Whatever's on the radio? What? <laughs> whatever? <laughs> what are you talking about? Whatever's on the radio? <laughs> I, I asked her where she, where, what places she's been. She said, I've never been out of Elkhart County. <laughs> what? Are you- Talking about where do you want to live when you grow up? I don't care. Well, here? What's wrong with here? Uh what? That's scary. I mean, I didn't ask her about food. She'd probably be like, whatever they give me. And relationships. I don't know. Whatever boy takes an interest in me, I guess. Or whatever. Maybe I'll just be alone. I don't I don't know. I don't care. I, I got the impression that she was almost like this passive visitor on a pre-programmed ride that. We all just assume must be going somewhere, you know? <laughs> it's, what are you talking about? I file this story under, nice to meet you, I'm dead inside. <laughs> what? I-, I don't relate to that. I'm assuming most people do not relate to that. That we at least, even if we don't know what it would cost or mean to lead a meaningful life, at least we want to lead an interesting life. Ideally, a meaningful life. You know, and a significant life. I, I since the time I was in my teens, I've been drawn to the idea of significance. I, I I think I've been on a search for significance, and I suspect this is my intuition. I suspect that boredom is meant to help us get there. Boredom is meant to help serve like a creative spark that pushes us from meaninglessness into curiosity and an interesting life, maybe even a meaningful life, maybe even a significant one. Boredom is a superpower, and it's meant to help us. But we just scratch it and put in substitutes. And I'm not saying stay bored long term. I'm saying do what you need to do to get bored, and then reject substitutes and go after the real. And you go, what does this have to do with community? I think it has a lot to do with community. My friend Alan and I were talking the other day about addiction. He feels when he's honest about his addiction to drugs that some people... Are shocked or, or look down on him and view him with disdain, and because he goes, I look at I look at this guy next to me who do, isn't addicted to drugs, but he is addicted to pride, or this preacher who they crave attention and the spotlight, so they use sermons to be important and have people look at them. And I said, are You talking about are you talking about me, bro? <laughs> he said, No, no, I'm not talking about you. I'm thinking of this one person in particular. But he, what he was saying was some people's sins are respectable so they go undiagnosed he's like you're an addict too just because my addiction is to drugs you think it's bad and yours is fine you know we we talk about alcoholics anonymous talks about a dry drunk and that's someone who they're currently not drinking but they're also not fulfilled they're not really solving the, the original problem there was a reason they drank in the first place And they haven't dealt with the reason. They haven't dealt with the underlying fears, beliefs, wounds, desires, needs. And alcohol was a substitute to fill that without actually fulfilling. One of my heroes is Dallas Willard, and one of the topics that he speaks about are the spiritual disciplines. And he talks about there are spiritual disciplines. I'm going to say it in my own words. There's disciplines of engagement where you add something to your life. And then there's sort of disciplines of abstinence, where you subtract something from your life, right? Active disciplines where you're adding something are like fellowship, worship, study, service. You're adding something healthy to your life. Fellowship, worship, study, service. Feasting, right? Those are social, those are active. We're adding something. And then there are disciplines that are subtractive like solitude, solitude. Now, we're not to live a life of solitary confinement, but there are times when being in solitude will help things emerge that need to emerge. Solitude, silence is a subtractive one. Stillness, fasting, Solitude, silence, stillness, fasting. These are subtractive spiritual disciplines. Fellowship, worship, study, service. These are feasting. These are active spiritual disciplines. And Dallas Willard's insight is that if we want to go deep in Jesus, these are just tools. These are not rules that life doesn't come from them. But these are tools because he says, you know, you can't sit at the piano with no training and no practice and play Beethoven's Fifth. But you can, through a lot of training and practice, get to the place where not only is it possible, but it's habit and it flows out of you and you almost don't even have to think about it. At VitaNet this year, I noticed some young people talking about how wonderful and helpful it is to be in the program, not struggling and failing in the area of sexual addiction through their phones and saying things like, you know, when I get out of the program, I hope I can keep it going. And I'm thinking... Well, you know, in the program, you surrendered your SIM card. You don't even have the internet on your phone. And they only turn on your Wi-Fi for two hours on Sunday night. And you don't even have games on your phone. The only apps you're allowed to have on your phone is your notes app and your camera. But once a week on Sunday night, you get a couple hours of internet so that you can video call or message your friends and family. And the thing is, They all claim, boy, this is way better, not just for my sexual health, but this is way better for my state of mind. And the funny thing is, I'm sure as soon as they can, most of them, once they can get back online, will get back online and probably back into patterns that are not as ideal. And they surely are not going to get back into patterns that are ideal if when they leave the bubble... They don't have a group around them. Like If they leave this bubble, this cultivated greenhouse that's designed to maximize and speed growth by controlling the factors in the environment, and they go out of that into bad soil and a harsh, waterless desert, that's not good. We're actually supposed to take some kind of cultivated community into the desert with us. The bubble. That's what I hear it called. Oh, it's life in the bubble. It's not the real world. I'm pretty sure it's located right there in a regular city in the real world. What do you mean it's not the real world? Well, it's a level of commitment and discipline and community that we don't look at as possible. I suspect it is possible, and I suspect we lack a depth of community and disciplines that would make it so much easier for us to not waste our life and to not waste our boredom. Instead of living in the bubble, we live at the all-you-can-eat buffet where no one ever says, hey, you've had enough. You've been here four hours. You go now. (laughs) I've noticed this as well. When people want to sin, they will pull away from the people who represent Jesus to them. And if you're one of those people, don't take that personally. Keep connecting, not with guilt, not with shame, but like Johan Hari said, find meaningful ways to sit compassionately with them and form connection. Or like we like to say, to remind them who they really are. How God created them to be. Because that person is still in there. Community, culture, current. I think that's enough for today. Thank you.